our Bible reading allow us to go to our Bible reading of today. Our topic of today is uh, Christ, our elder brother. So let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, from verse 1 to 18. I believe we are there. Hebrews, chapter 2, from verse 1 to 18. And I start to read. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have had, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will, it is not by angels that he has subjected the world to come, but which we are speaking. Verse 6. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are from the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might break the power of whom who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he has to be made like them, fully human in every way, in, in order that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might, that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. 
because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that is the word of God. Allow me to welcome our Reverend Kasimu, who will be ministering today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for keeping Reverend Kasimu, who is ready and you're ready to use him as your own instrument, O Jehovah. Jehovah, may you bless him. May you speak through him. For you have a reason why he is alive today. Be with him. Fill him with your power of the Holy Spirit to guide him on what he's going to say to your people. We thank you for all our online viewers. For we believe and we know they are blessed. For it is in Jesus' name that we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Sister Maureen. And uh, good morning, church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which meets in the house with new priests and new uh, ministers at home. I want to thank you so much for tuning in uh, this morning. You're hearing, uh, you're hearing us from uh, Ogata Rongai, Nairobi Baptist Church. Um, and uh, we continue to appreciate the fact that you can uh, tune in and walk with us. We have a started series in the book of Hebrews, and last Sunday we did uh, the first chapter. Uh, just uh, to, to uh, bring you to catch up with where we are, um, the book of Hebrews is written by an author who is debated. Uh, we cannot uh, for sure tell you who it is, but of course there are very many uh, indicators that uh, there is a possibility that this could be Apostle Paul. And those who think so, they say um, it is because of his language, some of the things that he uses, that then because of the words that he uses, talking about the sheep, then obviously uh, there is a possibility that this could be Paul. But anyway, whoever the author is, the main message of this book is be confident. Be confident because he has done it for us. Because he has a better message for us. Be confident. And actually, our Bible commentators seem to divide this book into three parts. Part A is chapter 1 all the way to chapter 7, talking about the superiority of the Savior, the superiority of the messenger, the carrier of this messenger, the author of this message of hope, a new message of grace. And uh, chapter 8 uh, 9 uh, is part B, which is superiority of the institutions, the new institutions. First of all, chapter 8, the institution of the new covenant, that the new covenant is better than the covenants that were there, because he's trying to connect the teachings of the old and the new message of uh, grace. And of course, chapter 9, he goes again to talk about the superiority of the new tabernacle. So everything that the Lord has brought is better. The whole message is better. Therefore, because it is better, be confident. You believer, be confident. And of course, then he goes on to talk about chapter 3, which is the superiority of the faith. That there is victory. That the, those who believe in the Lord, those who believe in this message, have a superior faith than the faith of our forefathers. So be confident, believer. 
Last week, we talked about chapter 1, which basically was talking about the messenger. The new messenger who has come, whose message is better. Whose message is better than even the old prophets and is better than the message of the angels. That Christ has come to make it easy for us to walk this path. And I think now as we come to chapter 2, be confident because we have an elder brother. You kid brother, be confident. You kid sister, be confident because we have one who is bigger. And this one who is bigger is actually our kin, is actually related to us. We have a big brother who has gone before us. For that reason, be confident, you believer. And I think he is talking about satisfaction. Be confident in the struggles of life because one of the biggest problems in life is satisfaction and contentment. Men are always on the move, always chasing. They never get satisfied. Every time there is need for adjustment. When you were a child, the things you were looking for, you had to adjust because you never got enough of them. And as you grow bigger, when you go to high school, you think that you are getting it all, you realize that you need to, to adjust even more. When you go to, to the university, you think because now you're not going to be put, pushed by teachers, you're going to study on your own, you realize that you need to do even more. When you're not married, you think that when you get married, your problems are solved, only to realize that you need to adjust even more. Because those that are not in marriage are trying to get in marriage, and those that are in marriage are actually trying to get out of the marriage. So everybody is trying to adjust. When you are without a job, you are able to wake up late and go looking for something. When you get a job, then you have another problem of waking up very early and coming back home early. I mean, late. So everybody is up and down, running up and down, trying to adjust. And the problem of the adjustment so that you can get satisfaction is a very big struggle. And everybody is wondering, when will I rest from this struggle? Until you go to the coffin, you cannot rest. It is a race. It is a race. It is a duty. Everybody is running and running, struggling and struggling until some of them get into trouble. And therefore, Paul, or whoever is writing here, seems to suggest then, he's talking about two things. He calls the struggler, he calls him the sheep, S-H-I-P, the sheep. And then he talks about another person who is helping the struggler, the brother. So today we're talking about the sheep and the brother. And the main focus is that brother is very useful to the sheep. So the struggler is likened to a sheep. Because a sheep is very helpless. A sheep must be led. So he's talking about, he's talking about a sheep that comes to a harbor. A, a sheep that is wandering in the, in, the, in the mighty waves of the sea. A sheep that does not even know where it is coming from and where it is going. It depends on a captain. And therefore he brings the imagery of the sheep and he brings the imagery. In that imagery he has a captain who must be having a mooring. A mooring is anything that connects the sheep to the anchor. Or, uh, and, and therefore he's talking about the mooring. There must be the mooring. So who is this captain that must be the Lord Jesus Christ? And what about if there is 
is the captain, and if there is the ship, who is the believer or the church? And the mooring then must be faith. And if there is faith, then the mooring must be tied onto something, and that anchor, which we are calling the anchor, must be the word of God, which is the message of hope, which is actually the word of God is simply the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as, and as we look at this imagery, we find very interesting uh, things because everybody is trying to answer the problem of satisfaction. Economists try to answer the problem and the equation of satisfaction. They talk about economic equilibrium or even market equilibrium, that everybody running, trying to adjust to, to buy clothes to fit within your, within your fashion, to buy uh, cars that fit within your class, and every time you get more money, you increase the expenses. And every time that your expenses go up, you look for more money. And when you cannot get money, you reduce your expenses. And when you are doing all these things, you are balancing, you are looking for an equilibrium. And it is a very delicate game all the time. Equilibrium, equilibrium. Governments are very busy. Central banks are very busy trying to adjust to make sure everybody can find some equilibrium. Even the sociologists try to explain this. They also call it a social equilibrium. That it is, this time it is not individuals, uh, it is actually systems. For example, fashion. How can you just, how can all the whole world run towards one single fashion? That every young man who is white and black, everybody is running for a, for a, for a, for a slim fit uh, suit or a shirt, you know, or a t-shirt. And every woman becomes mad running after fashion because these are systems trying to adjust the adjustment of a social equilibrium. So you just design, and anybody today can actually design anything, a cape that looks like this, that is looking upside down, and when people see it and they think it is fashionable, the whole world will run towards a social uh, equilibrium of systems. Now, psychologists have moved even further. They don't talk about satiation. Now they talk about, they don't talk about satisfaction. They talk about satiation. A place where you not only want, uh, have enough of what you want, but actually you have more than you need. And they use uh, satiation uh, to treat children who want, uh, for example, to take more sugar and you think they are going to get too much of sugar, and you try to beat them, they cannot. So they would suggest that actually get this child, buy a quarter of sugar, and get a long cane, get this child to eat and try to finish that quarter of sugar until the child has more than the body needs. And every time they see sugar, they don't want the sugar. You are even likely to get a baby who will be uh, taking tea without sugar. And that, that goes almost everywhere else. And maybe that is a tip for you ladies. You can actually tame men using that kind of a thing. That there is satiation when you give more than what a person wants. It's likely to reduce the desire for the same. And then we are coming back to say, what about, what about uh, theology? What about biblical studies? What about uh, the, the, the order of, uh, of uh, Hebrews chapter 2? Talking about it's like there is a person who can actually give satisfaction to this struggle of human life. It is actually Piper who wrote an article, an article and said, there is no standing still. The life of this world is not a lake. It is a river, and it is flowing downward to destruction. 
If you do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand still. You will go backward. You will float away from Christ. So the author begins by saying that we have the sheep and we have the big brother. We have the struggler who is likely to get into two problems, who is likely to get into drifting away and also to get into drifting down. And therefore, let me now take uh, us through this, saying that although you struggle, and in this struggle that your marriage get into a very big problem and you actually are struggling too much, you are wishing that the Lord would just come now, that your educational life has become too much, that the working life has become too much, Health has become too much and you have to look for uh, a lot of uh, adjustment which is becoming too much of a problem. And before you despair, the message here is that don't worry. Be confident we have a brother. We have a big brother. My small son had a bully in class. And one of my daughters, one of them was too courageous. So when he came to report to me, I felt it was too bad for me to go to that class of toddlers and start telling them to stop harassing my brother, So my, my, my son. So I asked him, why can't you talk to your big sister, who is a very tough, one of them was very tough. So he talked to the big sister, and the big sister went to that class of toddlers, and he said, hello, who dare touch my brother? Those kids switched off. They looked at her. And never again did they touch my son. Because she had a big sister who was there for him. And he went to school confident. He was very ready to wake up in the morning going to school because nobody was there to bully him. And I want to tell you that even as the devil bullies us, as he scares us with all these struggles of life and telling us that we are not up to the task, that we cannot adjust, that your marriage is already gone, that your career is gone, that your health is gone, and therefore you're just waiting. No, you can be productive again. So John Piper is talking about a life that is not standing still. It is a struggle. We have this assurance of a brother, a brother who has four roles, such that this chapter is talking about the roles of this brother. The roles of a big brother who is Christ. One of them is our great anchor. He has become an anchor. The imagery of docking ship is brought to us here behind the scenes. There is obviously the captain and obviously there is the mooring as I have said. And the ship is a believer. Jesus is the captain. Faith is becoming the mooring. And God's word, the message of chapter 1 is becoming the anchor upon which the Christian can actually uh, be, be tied to. And the ship is very delicate. The believer is very delicate. This life is very delicate. Why? Because of two ways. It's delicate. You are delicate because you can drift away. You can float on lostness. When the ship drifts away, when the mooring has gone or is weak or the, the knot upon the anchor is weak, then the ship drifts away. By drifting away, you are getting lost. You are never delivering the cargo. The cargo that you were carrying will never reach the harbor. People are waiting for it. Long, truck, uh, long distance truck drivers are waiting. But the cargo will never reach them because your ship drifts away. Number two, the ship can drift down. The believer can drift down to destruction. We are not talking about a shipwreck. The believer is drifting away because of taking God's promises casually. Because of indifference. 
A believer who is indifference, a person who is indifference, who is not taking it seriously, who is unchangeable because of unchangeability, because of conservatism, a person who cannot be changed by the message of hope, a person who would rather go and commit suicide, even when Christ says that I will never leave you nor forsake you, you do not hear that. You are unchangeable. You remain the same old desperate person, a gloomy person who can never smile, even when Christ's message brings you a hope and a smile. Unchangeability actually you, uh, causes you to drift away. Even complacency. Doing nothing away. I mean, doing nothing about what you're hearing. So, you are blown away towards enticing life currents which are opposed to the simple message of grace. And these currents might include pride. They might include self-effort. They could include achievements, even pleasure, etc. These currents of life are too powerful. They shake the moorings. They shake the faith of the believer until the message of grace is never witnessed in the believer. It will never be seen just like a floating ship. The cargo is gone, but the colors are visible in the deep seas. How is it visible? Because we can only see you, your pride. Your, your achievements, that is what we see. We never see that which we are carrying, the cargo, the grace, the message of grace of Christ. We never see Christ because we only see the colors in the deep seas. The colors in the deep seas of a lost ship, of a ship that is drifted away, are your own personal attributes. You replaced Christ. We only see a ship that has drifted away. These currents struggle against God's, God's love and invitation from the elder brother who says, Come unto me, O ye that labor, and are heavy laden. And if you don't hear those in, that invitation and you do not come to the Lord, then you are busy trying to solve your problems. You are busy trying to carry, looking for big bags to carry your Lord. And you start looking for many ways you drift away from the suggestions of the promise. Drifting away renders you barren and retarded. It causes a disequilibrium in life. And the balance, therefore, is zero. Such that after all these struggles, your balance is zero. On your dying day, you have achieved no kingdom fruits. Imagine, we have a challenge here. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 gives us a challenge. He says, by now, you ought to be teachers of the word. By now, meaning that if you draw a graph of your productivity on this side, and this side, the number of years as, as, the, as life goes by, you are supposed to draw a line of good feet, a line of good feet that you are supposed to be achieving this on your first year of salvation. That some of you by now, you could probably be bishops. You could probably be having 500 sons that you have discipled and you have released and are busy there releasing healing and message of hope to others. But you are there drifting away. You have drifted away. We only see your colors, yellow and blue and green in the deep sea. Some of you now are likely to, are supposed to have been a mentoring girls. You are supposed to have caused ma um, uh, marriages to stand. You had an opportunity, but you lost it because you drifted away. We only see your colors. By now, you ought to be teachers of the world. Where are you? Sinking there. The believer is drifting down. We said you are drifting up. 
I mean, away. Now the driver, the, the believer could be drifting down to destruction because of neglect. First, because of not listening. Because of not paying attention, you drift and float. Because of neglect, failing to care, the tragedy of doing nothing, you, you become cast like the Edomites of Obadiah, who saw Edomites who were cast because they were doing nothing when the brother was suffering. This has to do with fence sitting, suffering from a bystander apathy, where you watch doing nothing when you know what the message of the cross is all about. Neglect has been referred to as the sin of sins because you fence watch the vehicle which comes to take you from the land of the power of sin. You neglect it. We are the neglectors. Who are the neglectors of the great salvation? It is called the great salvation because the price is very great. The result of this is great. And the order of this salvation is great, first of all. The result of it is deliverance and redemption, which is great. The price of it is the blood of a holy, innocent God, the Son of God. Because of that, it is very great salvation. But we are neglectors. Who are these neglectors? The people who neglect, who neglect being loved by God. People who, those who neglect being forgiven and accepted by the Almighty God. Those who do nothing about the sacrifice of, Christ, of Christ's life on the cross. And even those who downplay the free gift of righteousness imputed by faith. Those who fail to desire the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those who reject the movement of the Pentecostal experience. Those who stay there, conservative. Uh, those who remain indifferent. Those who do not need to be moved by the power of the the Holy Spirit and drive nations, those who fail to desire, even those who fail to take the free gift of righteousness imputed by faith, even those who fail to take the radiance of God's glory through, through Jesus, and those who neglect the inexhaustible treasure of God's promises, those become what someone told me. During elections, we were discussing people, and I suggested to a group of people, I told them, my man is so and so, I think we should elect that guy to be a member of parliament. They told me, keep quiet. That man is harmless and useless. I have lived to discover that even our friends, some of our friends are harmless but useless. Others are harmful but useful. There is nothing as bad as having a friend who is harmless but useful, useless. He, she does not gossip you, but she cannot help you. She causes no trouble to you, but she can also not cause any benefit to you. She is useless, although harmless. And when, when you drift away, when you neglect the, the, this message, you become harmless but useless and only seek to wait for the wrath of God. They cannot escape the punishment for sins whose remission they neglected. So, that is the del delicateness of the believer's journey. The tragedy of drifting away and the tragedy of dr drifting down. But we have an elder brother who calls us brethren. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Christ has become our anchor. Number two, Christ has become the captain of the sufferers. When we look at verse 5 to 13, we see only one thing here. Christ has become the captain of the suffering. Although man was made slightly lower than angels, man, not angels, was actually made, created to rule in the future. 
God gave man dominion over earth, and he did not give that dominion to angels. So Jesus agreed to actually behave like a man, to be made by the Father, to be made lower than angels, although he is God. So that was the idea so that he can become fully man. This was necessary so that he may experience our fear and death before defeating it finally. This strengthened his relationship with a believer so that he can call you son, and he can call you a friend, and he can call you a brother. Because he knows your life. He has put on the genes that we have put on. But who is man? So small, vulnerable to sin. Too small to Satan and temptation. But we see Jesus. We hear that. The Bible tells us that. But we see Jesus. When we look at man, he cannot overcome. The struggles are too much for him. But we see Jesus. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus, who is Lord over all. Through Jesus, man can regain the dominion originally intended for Adam. We have many life lessons we, will, we don't understand until we see Jesus himself. The answers to life's most perplexing questions are not found in asking why. Why those questions you're asking, why me, why, why, why? No. The greatest answer is a whole Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Sometimes the eye of faith drifts away and we desire to see Jesus face to, to face. But ask the Pharisees. The faith eye is better than the physical eye. Even those who saw him in Galilee, those who saw him in Jerusalem, they never found him useful. If you were to desire to see Jesus, Jesus, I am tired of believing. I wish Jesus would just come and stand here. I am assuring you, it may not help. The eye of faith is better than the physical eye. Jesus, see Jesus who suffered death so that he may be glorified and become the captain of the suffering. Grasp Jesus with the eye of faith, as imperfect as your faith and your vision of faith may be. Seek him who is perfect. Look and see a brother with a bigger hand which can lead you. By his own hand, he leadeth me. By his own hands, he leadeth me. As the captain leads the way, and is an example to his men, so Jesus does this for us. As the captain encourages his men, so does Jesus encourage the weak believer. As the captain recognizes his troops and Jesus recognizes his followers also, that is the recognition. He shall reward even the weak. So yes, Jesus is the captain of the sufferers. Whatever you suffer through, Jesus follows you, and he will lead you. He follows you, he leads you, he surrounds you. We have the captain of the suffering. You are not alone. He is the captain of the sufferers because he suffered so that he can understand our suffering. Number three, we have a champion when defenseless, verses 14 to 18. He himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus had to take on flesh and blood so that he can qualify to become an elder brother. He had to enter into the prison to free the captive. Oh, praise the Lord. And through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Man's right to rule was taken away when he joined Satan in sinning. After that, Satan ruled. And Satan rules. He rules because we gave him the authority. When you sin, you give Satan a right to rule. So he now rules. He now reigns because of sin. And you can only allow Christ who came and took away that right. How? Because Satan sinned. His actions on the cross 
causing suffering to an innocent Lord. Because of that, he lost his right. So he does not rule again over man. So Christ has come to crush for the defenseless believer who has already surrendered and who is ruled because every person needs to be ruled. This is why we sing songs about politicians. A politician just needs to say, a politician, everybody runs after you. you. Everybody wants to be ruled. Everybody wants to be ruled. Every man wants to be, to be ruled. Every woman wants to be ruled. And apparently Satan is ruling. But Christ wants to come so that he can be champion for the defenseless. The devil will not want to let you go. He came to release those who fear death. Where all the lifetime subject to change. Christians will no longer fear death. Though perhaps a fear of dying. It's okay to fear the dying, the experience of dying. But you don't fear the death. Not because death is their friend, but because it is a defeated enemy that now serves God's purpose in the believer's life. Therefore, you don't have to fear death. He does give aid to the seed of Abraham, this is what we are hearing. The believer is the seed of Abraham, a people of eternal covenant. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to assist the seed to grow and reach heaven. Even those weak in faith, the backsliders. And the heavy laden have a brother to assist them. And as we come to a close, the, the last thing is Jesus is, has become our advocate in heaven. He is our faithful high priest, verse 17 and 18. Jesus has become our propitiation. He was offered by God as our sacrifice. So he is two things. He is both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. This is why definitely Christ is better. It's better than anything else. The priests were not the sacrifice. They were the sacrificers. But there was another sacrifice. Now Christ has become both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. Jesus has become our merciful and faithful high priest. The garment of the priest included a breastplate with the stones engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel on both his chest and his shoulders. This symbolized a constant sympathy with the people of God. Christ has done exactly that. He carries the interests because he was pierced on the chest and the shoulder. He has qualified to become a true faithful high priest. Jesus experienced the temptation of power and the temptation of pain. He understands it very well. Spurgeon once said, many persons are tempted but do not suffer in being tempted. When ungodly men are tempted, the bait is to, 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 to their taste and they swallow it greedily. Temptation is a pleasure to them. Indeed, they sometimes tempt the devil to tempt them. But good men suffer when they are tempted. And the better they are, the more they suffer. Christ did not just face temptation, but he, he suffered through the temptation. Temptations bring us suffering because we have to say no. We have to say no to unnecessary adjustments. We, 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 we adjust divinely. We adjust differently. And sometimes it is too painful when you have to say no to a job that is leading you to sin. When you say no to an offer that is very nice and you see other people taking the offer and they seem to prosper. Like we come to a point where we say, why do the evildoers seem to be prospering when the saints are suffering? It is okay. He will explain this understanding in the court of heaven. And therefore, yes, my brother and my sister, in conclusion, 
take the message of grace seriously. Check your moorings and lift your eyes to see Jesus. Our elder brother, who is sure, our sure anchor that holds, the captain of the suffering, the champion of the defenseless, and our able advocate in heaven who acquits us. Jesus is our eternal satisfier. In this house of faith, there is no brother. There is no other home better than ours. You better come to the house of faith. In your house, there is no brother better than ours who is not ashamed of calling us brothers. In our house, we have a brother who is bigger, who can come and say, who dare touch my kid brother? Who dare touch me? Because he fights for me. I know Christ will fight for you. He fights for us. Christ, our elder brother. Christ, our satisfier. I would uh, like to pray for you. After this, it's time to give unto the Lord and to worship the Lord with our givings. He gave his life to us. We can never outgive God. He's the one who has given us what we have. We can never give more than him. And therefore, it is our chance to just give the little that we can afford through the empesa that will be appearing there. But before then, I would like you to raise your hand if you are praying this prayer, my brother, my big brother, my Lord Jesus Christ, hold my hand and lead me through these wanderings that I'm drifting down and I'm drifting away, that I'm becoming unproductive, that I'm falling off, drifting away from the line of good feet, that I'm becoming useless and harmless. Lift your hand like this. I'm praying for you. If you have faith, lift your hand like this wherever you are and trust God. Believe in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith, the apostle of our profession. You are our big brother. We are your kid, kid sisters and kid brothers. And you are able to save us even as we drift away. Look at the harbor which is disturbed with very many currents. Currents that are very enticing. Currents that are very pressuring. And the problems we are going through in our homes, in our marriage, in our love affairs, in our, in our, in our businesses, in our workplace of work. Lord, these currents are too much, big brother. Unless you help us, Lord, how can we make it? Lest we stand before you with nothing, having nothing, being ashamed to stand before you. That we have now ought to be all teachers. We ought to have many sons and daughters which we don't have. But Father, it is never too late. Kid sister, kid brother, lift this faith before the Lord. And therefore, Jesus, I pray that you lift this hand. Pull my sister up again. Pull my brother again. And I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, you receive new anointing and new grace and new strength. In the name of our God, who is the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Allow me to call Reverend Kasimu for the benediction. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Maureen, also. And thank you, music team. Thank you so much. And everybody, um, um, the technical team that uh, helped put this up, we want to thank you. Thank you all for giving unto the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Lord and uh, giving your hearts to the Lord. And even as you continue with your adjustment this week, may the Lord walk with you. I want to say this, uh, if you can just raise your hands um, or just your heart wherever you are, may the Lord shine before you. May the Lord give you his grace even as you try to balance these things on Monday, may the Lord come through for you. 
May the Lord be found near you. May you touch him and feel that he is present with you on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, may the Lord come through for you. May the Lord become a song. May he give you a song at night, even on Thursday. I don't know what will come before you on Friday. Nobody knows, but may the Lord uh, shine before you on Saturday and on Sunday. May the Lord give you good health. And again, even a few cre- uh, coins to afford credit to listen to us as we continue in the book of uh, Hebrews, Christ Better. In the name of God, who is the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. Stay blessed. Amen.